and welcome to the Public School Matters podcast presented by the North Carolina Association of School Administrators. I'm Katherine Joyce, NCASA's Executive Director, and joining me as she does for each episode is Legal Affairs and Policy Manager Elizabeth Yelverton. Together, we talk about the legislative and policy news affecting our public schools in North Carolina. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. This week, Catherine and I are going to go over the 2022 midterm elections results and what effect that these results might have on public education in 2023 and beyond. That's right. Election day was Tuesday, November 8th. And I know a lot of us are glad those campaign ads will go away from roadsides and our TV screens. Yes. (laughs) But at the time of this recording, Uh, We still don't know about all the results. Almost all of them are in, though. So we do have a lot to talk about today. Yeah, really, the only outstanding ones right now are on the federal level, um, at least, you know, in North Carolina. Uh, So on the federal level, it looks like Democrats narrowly retained control of the Senate after it was just announced that they won Nevada and Arizona. And this is regardless of the results of the runoff election in Georgia that's going to take place early next month in December. But Republicans still seem to be closing in on the U.S. House of Representatives with 212 seats so far. And this is compared to 204 Democrat seats. So we're still waiting on results from 19 races uh, federally. So we don't quite know quite yet um, if they're who's going to be in charge of the U.S. House. But we at least know the results for North Carolina's federal races. And so we know that Republican Ted Budd defeated Democrat Sherry Beasley in the one U.S. Senate race that we had. And there was an even 7-7 split, so seven Democrats, seven Republicans um, across our 14 U.S. House districts this year. A lot of races were surprisingly close for a midterm elections year. Typically, we see the party that is not in power in the White House pick up a lot of seats in the midterm elections. What about this year, though, Elizabeth? Yeah, that's right, Catherine. I mean, typically you do see um, the party that's not in power in the White House picking up those seats um, just because of voter turnout um, and and wanting um, to kind of go against the current status quo. But this did seem to be a unique election where it wasn't the total red wave that I think a lot of people were expecting. Um, but that doesn't mean that Republicans didn't have a few good wins either. Um, they still picked up quite a few seats, at least in North Carolina. Yes. So let's talk about our state results. So overall, Republicans remain in charge of the North Carolina General Assembly as they have been for the last few years, but they were not able to secure a supermajority in both chambers. And that means they did not pick up enough seats to be able to override every veto from Democratic Governor Roy Cooper without getting some help from Democrats on the other side of the aisle. They're going to have to work with Democrats to to really be able to overcome uh, legislation that Governor Cooper doesn't like. 
That's right. Um, the Senate Republicans ended up picking up two seats, giving them a supermajority of 30 votes that they needed in that chamber. But our House Republicans uh, were just one seat shy of the 72 seats that they needed for their own supermajority. And like you said, without a supermajority in both chambers, um, the governor's veto power is is still uh, strong as long as you know they vote along party lines. But with Republicans being just one seat short of that veto-proof supermajority, that means they're likely to try to sway one or more Democrats to join them in some key uh, veto override votes that that are probably likely to happen in the next session. Or sometimes they can just ask a Democrat to take a walk and miss a a key vote, and and they can try to time... um, their votes to occur when they know certain Democrats will be absent. So lots of things to watch there. Yeah, or, or even worse, if you're late for traffic and you end up being the one, you know, Democrat or, that was really needed to hold the line, I would just hate to to be that one legislator. Heaven but, forbid uh, you know, if they need a, a restroom break, right? What happens right, then? exactly. But, I mean, we've also seen Democrats be swayed before on, you know, really important legislation such as the budget bill, um, which is arguably the most significant piece of legislation that's passed each session that, you know, provides millions in funding for our state. You know, that is if it even gets passed at all. Yes, indeed. All 170 seats in the state legislature may have technically been up for election this year, but we know many legislators, especially those in key leadership roles, ran unopposed, uh, meaning no opposition in in the election. So an automatic win for, for folks like Senate Leader Phil Berger and House Speaker Tim Moore. Well, to be fair, I would hate to go up against either of those gentlemen um, right now because they do hold a lot of power in our state. Um, But we're seeing a lot of the same players uh, or the key players in education leadership roles, too. So the current House Education Committee chairs, Representatives uh, Hugh Blackwell and John Torbett, they both ran unopposed, which means we may be seeing them in that position again. They don't always hold the same uh, committee roles each year, each session, but uh, typically once you find an interest in something, they kind of keep you in in that avenue. So uh, speaking of Representative Torbett, um, he also currently chairs the House Education Appropriations Committee. So you have the Education Committee and the Education Appropriations Committee. And he currently chairs that alongside Representative John Hardister, who also won re-election. But also, um, they he currently chairs that with Representative Pat Hurley, and she actually lost uh, her primary election back in May. So we do know that there's going to be one uh, familiar face uh, not in that position next year. Yes. And Representative Hurley isn't the only legislator in an education leadership role that we know is not returning. In the Senate, Senator Deanna Ballard, who currently chairs the Senate Education and the Education Appropriations Committees, lost in the May primary elections to fellow Republican Senator Ralph Heiss after the two of them were drawn into the same district in the redistricting process that lawmakers completed last year. But uh, Senator Ballard's co-chair on both of those committees, Senator Michael Lee, won re-election in a very tight swing district in the Wilmington area. So overall, 
we will probably see a lot of familiar faces and perhaps a couple of new ones in the education leadership roles at the General Assembly in 2023. That's very helpful to know. Catherine, and and since we've worked with a lot of these legislators for a while now, we kind of have a little bit of an idea what their priorities are going to be for this legislative long session that's starting in January, right? Well, we have a few ideas (laughs) on some of the things they they might be thinking. Um, Of course, they they always come up with new ideas as well. But um, first of all, we know the House tends to be a little more reactionary to, to some key hot button issues like changes to the school calendar, which they as a chamber have uh, very much supported in the past. Mm-hmm. And then another recent issue, the parental rights legislation that did not get passed back in uh, the short session that, that wrapped up earlier this year. But we've heard House Speaker Tim Moore has said he would be interested in revisiting legislation that Cooper vet- uh, Governor Cooper vetoed on the parental rights proposal. So that may resurface. So uh, just, just a few ideas of some things that, that might be coming back. Yep. And uh, we, we know we have a few members concerned about a few of those ideas, but we know that as much of the controversial legislation um, that the House proposes, a lot of that is usually reeled in by our friends in the Senate. So when it comes to getting legislation passed, the Senate is a bit renowned of or renowned for being a, a bit of a brick wall sometimes. You know, Elizabeth, I bet there are some House members and even Governor Cooper uh, thinking along those same lines, especially on certain votes when they happen and, and they see the Senate prevail. So yep. uh, they, they call them the upper chamber for a reason, right? Right. <laughs> All right. As always, we definitely will have our work cut out, cut out for us in the next session of the General Assembly. And you know, the two of us could spend all day just talking about the General Assembly races, since that's where we do most of our advocacy work. But we should probably highlight a few other key elections before we sign off of this episode, or at least before our listeners tell us they've had enough and and they sign off. Right, Elizabeth? That's right, Catherine. Um, So I guess we should at this point briefly mention our state's judicial races um, where, you know, legal nerds like me were very interested. So this was actually a really big win for Republicans, uh, especially in the races for the state court of appeals and the state Supreme Court. And education advocates are definitely going to want to keep an eye on the new state Supreme Court. Uh, because it is changing from a four to three Democrat majority currently to a five to two Republican majority in the new year. Now, why does this matter for education? Well, this is the same Democrat majority Supreme Court that decided just a couple of weeks ago to uphold uh, the trial order in the long-running Leandro court case that would order the Republican-led state legislature to pay potentially millions of dollars um, for state education funding. Um, and so, you know, there was a lot of pushback from uh, the Republicans on that court who, you know, were in the minority, who wrote dissenting opinions saying that they don't believe that this is the correct result. So now that we are going into a Republican majority in the new year, we will see if this court takes any actions um, to go against that, the the recent uh, court ruling. 
wow, who would think that so so much for public education can rest in the hands of our judges in, in our state's highest court? That's that's really astounding to hear, but definitely something to keep in mind as the new year approaches. What about at the local level, Elizabeth? Well, you know, we can't share results uh, on all the local races, but there definitely were a lot of them, a lot of important ones, such as, you know, county commissioner races and local board of education races. And as we shared in our podcast episode on the elections preview, the one that we came up with before the elections, roughly a third of North Carolina's local school board seats were up for election this year. And in 47 districts, a majority of the board was up for election, meaning the power balance literally, you know, was was going to be decided by the voters. So overall, like we saw in the state and federal elections, Republicans had some pretty big wins. And for the school board elections that were partisan, because remember, we still have a lot of boards in North Carolina that are nonpartisan. Um, but for the partisan ones, um, Republicans overwhelmingly won um, 103 or about 75 percent of those seats up for election. Definitely some big wins for the Republican Party and more at the local level, I think, than even at the state and federal. So very right. good to know and uh, something for our listeners to think about as uh, as as the focus in a, in a lot of uh, local politics will turn because of, of the change in those seats. We hope our listeners out there voted in those local Board of Education races, especially since many of them we know came down to only a handful of votes. That's right, Catherine. You know, I like to say every vote matters. <laughs> and on that note, thank you to our listeners for helping us ensure that each public school matters, just like the name of this podcast. Well, I think we've had uh, enough election coverage for one episode, but if any of our members have any questions or feedback about anything we've said today, uh, just feel free to email us at info at ncasa.net. And to learn more about the resources that we provide through NCASA, you can reach out to our team via email, visit our website, ncasa.net, or follow us on Twitter at NCASA Tweets. I should be tweeting a lot more coming up shortly with the legislature returning in uh, January. But thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. You've been listening to Public School Matters with the North Carolina Association of School Administrators. To stay up to date on legislation and policy news affecting K-12 education, we hope you'll join us for future episodes and subscribe to this podcast. Thank you for helping us ensure that each public school in North Carolina matters.